Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. It is November 6th, 19... No, November 8th. What? 1995. It's December. It's December 85th. Sure. 19, no, it's December 8th. It's cold outside. That's about all we know. And we're coming at you with more confusion about the date. <laughs> and maybe I can't read a calendar. I don't think you can. <laughs> my name is Mark. With me, as always, is my girlfriend, Carol. How you doing, Carol? I don't know anymore. Oh, hey, you're supposed to say your catchphrase. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I don't know what is going on. We're having a good time doing a great show. That's what's going on. I don't I don't know about all that. Wait till you hear the final product. Carol uh-huh. doesn't Carol doesn't understand that editing can happen. On our little cassette tapes that we make in, you know, your bedroom. Yep. Yep. Remember that uh, when you hear the final version of this, that there's stuff that you didn't hear. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Anyway, so this week we're going to be talking about a a television show and a movie. We are, just like every week. Do we do that every week? We do. First, though, I'm going to read some news to you. What you got? Well, Alanis Morissette. Is 1995 going to be the year of Alanis Morissette? Hmm. It says, uh, well, when it's all said and done, 1995 just may go down as the year of Alanis. Gulp. Yeah. Alanis Morissette. Okay. So maybe it's the year of Mariah, then Alanis. Or the year of Hootie, then Mariah, then Alanis. What were they smoking when they wrote this article? <laughs> what? Well, I mean, Hootie and Blowfish is huge. Yeah, but I mean, it's just the the continuously starting over. Like they seem confused. Whatever. The bottom line they is, they sound like you with the date. That young, young Morissette has forced. What the fuck does that say? Oh my god! You're holding it up closer and closer, like an old man. Con, con. What the hell is that word? Did you not read this before you decided to talk about it on the show? I read it in broad strokes. Whatever. The bottom line is that Young Morissette has forced more folks to con opinion. What? C-O-N-C-O-C-T-A-N and then opinion. con yeah, I don't know that word either. I mean, do you see why? <laughs> do you see why? That I... is a, a made-up nonsense word. Young Morissette has forced mo- most folks to concatan opinion. We're going to have to go get a dictionary when we're done recording and look it up. One way or the other. In just six months, she's not only earned one name status, she's become one of those artists everybody either loves or loves to hate. I don't know anybody who loves to hate her. I love her. I don't either. And that's why I wanted to read this article. Because I don't keep my ear to the ground of the music scene. So I'm not in the know as far as a lot of the music stuff goes. 
I just listen to what I like, and then I talk to my friends and stuff about what I like, but I don't... Closely share your opinions. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we all come from the same <laughs> the same background and genetic, uh, you know, field. Because mm-hmm. all my friends are related to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I... Well, it's just nature and nurture, you know? It's the two things. Uh-huh. That's why we share so many opinions. Right. Why? That's what I want to know. I'm making a joke, and your, your response is just, right. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry. I'm apparently like a dumb blonde inside. I don't get the joke. To me, nurture versus nature is not a joke. It's, you know. <laughs> don't you fuck with nurture versus nature. <laughs> it's a very relevant question of our time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, the most relevant question of our time is, who hates Alanis Morrison? Yes. Why? They said she pushes more buttons than Courtney Love. That's not possible. <laughs> but I just, I don't understand it. Why? Why would people hate her? I don't know. It makes me sad. If you guys hate her, you need to write us and tell us why, but we will hate you. <laughs> no, we won't. Yes, we will. I won't hate you. I'll hate you forever. Carol hates you, I guess. <laughs> But I won't hate you. But yeah, write in and tell, let us know why, why you don't like Alanis Morissette. Almost you almost said, Mar- said Mariah Carey. Yeah. Oh goodness. I think I secretly don't like Mariah. What about Hootie? Hootie and the Blowfish. I like Hootie. Uh what do they sing? They sing that. Um, what do they sing? Um, something about Traveler or something. Traveler. Yeah. You mean Blues Traveler, which is a completely different band. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Runaround. Yes, thank that, you. That's Blues Traveler. Damn. <laughs> Ooh, once upon a midnight year. What does Hootie sing? I woke with something in my head. They got that really popular song. Which? Oh, it's the, you know, the How I Was Wanna Be With You. Okay, yeah, that's good. They do sound. Similar. They do. And it sounds almost like a country band, Hootie and the Blowfish, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Darius Rutger, or Rudger Hauer. Darius Rutger Hauer. That's the lead singer's name? Well, that's the lead singer's name and the the antagonist of, or the secondary antagonist of Blade Runner. Oh, you know what they sing that, that I love so much? No. Let Her Cry? Yes. <laughs> Apparently the answer to that was yes. <laughs> that's it. Let her cry. <laughs> I know they love the dolphins for some reason. Uh, you know what we should do? We should interview Hootie and the Blowfish. Sure. So we can figure out what they, what they sing. Let's and get right on that. I know exactly how to contact them to interview them. We will get with Tabitha Soren, queen of the info hop for MTV News. Sure. Well, they're talking about uh, how on MTV News, Tabitha Soren is like the new Barbara Walters because she's doing a series, The MTV Interview. And speaking with people like gangsta rapper Tupac Shakur. You familiar with Tupac Shakur? Of course. Are you, really? (laughs) Not personally, but... You're that into the hip-hop scene? No, but you don't have to be into hip-hop. I'm sure my mom has heard of Tupac. Oh, I'm sure she hasn't. You want to bet on it? Yeah, I would absolutely bet on it. All right. 
I, I am sure she has not heard of Tupac Shakur. <laughs> usual terms. Yeah, usual terms. All That's right. right. Anyway, so, you know, that Tabitha Soren's uh, scoring good interviews here. But you know who else scored a good interview? Hmm. CNN's Greta Van Susteren. Okay. She is a, a lawyer and a host of the legal program Burden of Proof on CNN. And she is getting an interview with none other than Orenthal James Simpson. Wow. Yeah, O.J. Simpson says he's going to talk. She's going to get him to talk. From prison, huh? He's not in prison. He was found not guilty. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. I just had like you laser laser focus paid attention to that trial. (laughs) We talked about it so many times on here. Alternate realities. Do you even know what we're doing? (laughs) No. Oh my goodness! But that will be very interesting to hear um, the interview with OJ Simpson from his home, from from the comfort of his home, right? <laughs> With his blood-stained Bruno Mollies. He doesn't have to worry about bending over for the soap or anything. No, no, not at all. No. He double, <laughs> double murder and it's fine. Only in, you know, my crazy head, apparently, he lives in prison. Okay. <laughs> You're not blonde, right? I swear. Yeah. Dark hair. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good. When we first started, the thing I had to edit out was Carol said, why do I have a microphone in front of my face? (laughs) Wow. She didn't notice that she was talking to a microphone all these episodes. Right. Sure. (laughs) Anyway, on to the TV. Yeah. He made me watch a weird show that I've never heard of before. It wasn't that weird. It was a little weird. It's buried in, uh, I think, Fox's you know lineup of things. It's called High Society. Yeah, and it has a lady from Designing Women. Jean Smart. Who, like, practically tries to rape her best friend's son on camera. Yeah. And <laughs> she doesn't care. That's why I wanted you to watch it. Right. Uh, yeah, he's wearing, he's going to soccer he, He's an adult, just to clarify. He's kind of. I mean, he's like a teenager. <laughs> He's going to soccer practice, and he wears the. He's got the number sixty-eight, and she goes, "Oh, one number short." <laughs> she was touching him all over. Mm-hmm. It was so inappropriate. He's a good-looking kid, isn't he? Well, yeah, but you know, she's like fifty. I don't think she's fifty. <laughs> she is old. She's she's a, a romance writer. Yeah, which I guess means she's just horny all the time. Like, yeah, that's well, that's the thing. Uh, Stephen King is constantly murdering people in his right <laughs> in his little small towns, and romance writers are always horny, and science fiction writers are secretly from the future. <laughs> there you go. That's what TV thinks. What about uh, writers who write about you know like serial killers? They're secretly serial killers, right? Okay, good to know. Or they secretly want to be serial killers. <laughs> You'll have to watch yourself around them. Right. Hmm. He's been working on a book, people. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Right. No, it's I'm being fastidious. Uh-huh. 
How do you say that word? Festitious. Facetious. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what word you were trying to say. Oh. Fastidious, I think, is the other word. Like you mix the two words together. <laughs> is he trying to say facetious or fastidious? I'll just say both there you go. at the same time. <laughs> and then he'll know which one. Anyway, uh, so she, yeah, she's a, a romance writer, but she can't write in this episode. Yeah. This episode is titled The, uh, what is it? The Naked and the Deadline. Yeah, she's got writer's block. She's supposed to be going away for the weekend with some hot guy, apparently. She's so fucking horny. Her I friend. Think, I think she made it up, that, oh. that up, but go ahead. I didn't get that, but that makes sense. But her friend's like, what's his name? And she says, baby, oh, baby. Yeah. And she goes, oh, she, he's Irish. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense that it was made up. Yeah. I think she was making it up because she she had writer's block and she didn't want to tell her her editor that she had writer's block. It's this this show, and I, I don't think you've seen this other show I'm going to reference, but this show reminds me a little bit of Absolutely Fabulous. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I it's don't a, recall it. It's an English show with Jennifer Saunders and um, someone else that's not named Jennifer Saunders. I can't think of the... Uh, it's Patsy and Adina. That's their character's name. But so they're like best friends. They drink all the time. And they just... Like quip at each other, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and that's kind of what this show is like. Now, I know you didn't like the show at the beginning. No, because the jokes were a little too like in your face, mm-hmm. and I didn't like how she was pawing at the you know young man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you say uh, young men are my domain. Stay away from them, <laughs> old women. Right. I get it. You're very protective of young men. Well, and it doesn't make a lot of sense that, like, she's doing that in front of her best friend, and she's not affected. Like, I think most moms would <clears throat> hurt their friend if they were, like, coming out of their son. Gene Smart's like, I want to fuck your son, so what? Right. It's not, it's weird. <laughs> she knows it's never going to happen, though. The mom knows it's never going to happen, so she just doesn't bother. I guess. <clears throat> We get to see a little bit of this first episode of this I've seen as well. But somebody told me it was a lot like Absolutely Fabulous, and I like that show a lot, so I decided to watch this. But we get to see a little bit of the publishing house, I guess, or whatever, and the, the owner of the publishing house, and some Italian dude who's apparently has a pimple. Although they didn't, like, <laughs> did you see a pimple? No. Like, hair and makeup didn't even... They failed. Didn't even say, hey, let's put even a small pimple on here so the joke resonates. He just has perfect bone structure and skin. That's crazy. (laughs) And then everyone says there's a pimple, and we're supposed to believe there is. Yeah. So she's got writer's block, and most of this is like a montage of let's... These are things to get you out of writer's block. Yeah, and, and they're rich, so they can just do whatever the fuck they want anyway. Yeah, she's she's a very famous... Uh, she's like a Danielle Steele or something like that. You know how Danielle Steele famously tries to fuck her best friend's son? Sure. No, I mean, like, how she's a, a romance writer. 
a famous romance right mm-hmm. now. Right. All kinds of weirdness. Like, they even have some guy come over and feed them tea with testicles in it. I didn't know what the joke was going to be, but it's a very, this is a very old setup for a joke where he lists a bunch of ingredients that are normal and then one weird ingredient right. where he goes, oh, it's, yeah, it's, you know, do you like the tea? It just has uh, ginseng and ginger and uh, Cameroon and uh, what, I don't know. Bull testicles. A bunch, of, a bunch of different spices. And then, yeah, uh, goat testicle, I think he says. And then they spit it out and he goes, oh, did you get a ch- Oh. <laughs> so gross yeah that that was kind of funny but because that was on the that last part was unexpected yeah the other part is expected but that's a lot so much of comedy comes from things you don't expect true boo did you all uh laugh at that uh, <laughs> gonna go with no because you didn't expect me to do that but yeah she people say i boo weird well it doesn't sound like you're trying to be scary like uh well so, even like angry because sometimes what? i'll be in a I'll be at a football game and I'll be watching the Lions lose and I'll go, boo! You're such a freak. Yep. You sound like, uh, I don't know, the ghost from Count Chocula cereal or something. <laughs> Booberry? Whatever. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I mean, booberry. Right. Anyways. I couldn't even commit to the bit for an entire uh, 30 seconds. So she also takes her shopping oh she gets really depressed that's it yeah, yeah she she, she gets really depressed and she gives up <laughs> what this doesn't sound like a sitcom anymore she gets really <laughs> depressed and she gives up she uh teeters over the uh balcony of her <laughs> 55 story penthouse. No. but she decides that she's gonna stop writing she buys uh from she buys from a catalog a uh, rope and a stool oh my but yeah no she does she gives up and decides she's gonna stop writing because she just doesn't want the pressure anymore, which is stupid. She changes her hair, too. Yeah, she changes a lot of things. Like, she stopped hitting on the cute boy, and she just, like, lays around and stuff. So her friend drags her to... And her maid apparently likes to sing uh, spiritual songs, I guess. I... She's like, you know... Uh, yeah. What, what, how's that song go? Uh, give Lord your glory, glory. Yeah, that's not... A, I mean, that's like a kid's hymn or something. I don't know. I used to sing it in Sunday school. Wake up, wake up, or something. No, um, sun's out, sun's out. Stop! You're off. Uh, glory, glory. Satan loves. Stop it! (laughs) I don't remember either, but yeah, it's something. And she just sings along. Like I'm guessing. I'm guessing that in, you know, past episodes, she probably would have made fun of her. Well, at the, beginning, her. at the beginning of this one, she goes to strangle her oh. before the theme song. Okay. And then, and then uh, someone stops her and she doesn't strangle her to death. So, yeah, she's acting very strange. We could recut this as a horror show. Right? <laughs> very easily. <laughs> um. She takes her shoe shopping because she thinks that if she gets her around her her fans, this is mm, her friend, yeah. that they'll uh, they'll convince her to write more. And then and they don't. No, They're, she's like, oh, that's great, thanks for being a fan, but I don't give a fuck about you right? people anymore or ever. And then last last ditch effort, she has apparently her like enemy, frenemy, enemy. Yeah, you coined that word. It's such a great word. <laughs> I love that word, frenemy. Um, she shows up and they get into it and she's finally inspired to write. 
Yeah, she's inspired because she now she knows what she wants to write about. That's the thing is like she her writer's block was not having an idea apparently, which is not what writer's block is. No, you don't think so? Not really, no. Well, what is writer's block? Writer's block is you, you're writing a story and you don't know where to go. You get all in your head about I don't know what to do now. I'm going to doubt myself forever. Okay. That kind of stuff. Not having an idea for a book is not, to me, is not writer's block. Well, I think some writers feel it's writer's block when they sit down to write and nothing comes, even if it is at the beginning and not the middle, you know? I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess. But, yeah. She sat down to write thinking it would come to her. It did not. I just, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think ideas are easy. Writing is not the easiest thing in the world, but ideas are not that hard. I think ideas are super hard. I mean, really, I don't. You, agree. you have just if it's for you. You're different. Okay, your your whole way of writing like, is different. Am I like Newprin? What little yellow different? Alrighty, sure. I don't know what that is. I'm not little. No, or yellow. Or yellow. <laughs> But no, like, I mean, the fact that you can just be like, well, it's just, just right. You just write. You just sit down and do it. Like, not everybody can do that. That's like a special gift that you should be grateful for, not something that you should look down on other people because they don't have it. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you give me a lot to think about here today. I'm, I'm trying. Speaking of things to think about, let's uh, let's move on to the, the film. Yeah, we watched. This is definitely a film. We watched this uh, movie. Um, it's a film. <laughs> it's like three hours long, and I was a little scared to spend three hours watching a movie. But She was scared to spend three hours alone with me. Well, no, honey, I do that. <laughs> Maybe alone in the dark, but anyway. Because um, I'm writing a scary book. <laughs> yeah, because you're a fucking you know, serial killer writer, and that scares me. If we lived in a TV show, yes, I would be. <laughs> Apparently. Um, we saw a Casino. Yes. Casino, I believe it's pronounced. No. Um, Robert De Niro. Yeah, he's in it. And Joe Pesci. He is also in it. It's so weird to see Joe Pesci in this role after having seen him in uh, With Honors, like, not that long oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Very, very different. Also, Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's how you can tell he's a really good actor, because he can be so versatile. Good fellas. Right. Although he does play a mobster a lot, yeah. My cousin Vinny. Yeah. <laughs> um, Other movies, I'm sure. He was in Raging Bull, I think. Raging Bull. Yeah, that's uh, Robert De Niro being a boxer in black and white. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, Sharon Stone. Yeah. Is Sharon her stone in this in this movie? They all they all are doing, you know, an excellent job in this movie. It's a very, very good gripping story. It doesn't feel like it's three hours at all. No. It kind of feels like you're watching a documentary though, the way that like they narrate it and in the beginning, especially when he's talking about mm-hmm. how Las Vegas was formed and how the casinos run and stuff. Yeah. It definitely has that feel. It it does. I, I agree with you. I'd never thought about it that way, but it does have a very documentary type feel. Which gives it more of an authenticity than I think, other you know, the movie would have in, in other directors' hands. 
So this movie might be, or this this episode of ours might be a little boring. I guess I hope not, but it might be from, Why? The, from this point on. Uh oh, because uh, I mean Martin Scorsese is a genius. Yeah, he was a guy. He's he's uh of like you were telling talking about me. I guess a fortunate freak who <laughs> right. who was apparently just made to make movies because mm-hmm. he doesn't make a bad movie. He knows everything. He, like he know like I don't know how sometimes sometimes maybe just instinctually sometimes from studying the craft or whatever but the guy knows how to frame a shot he knows how to there's a, there's a scene and there's there's not there's only so many ways, the reason I say it might be a boring episode is there's only so many ways for me to say oh Martin Scorsese is a genius there are other things to be said about this movie. he works he works great with actors. He works. He works with good actors, mm-hmm. and he gets the very best out of them. Yeah. I mean, the, there's there's only so many ways for me to say that. Now, you might have more interesting things to say than I do, I guess, about it. But there's there's this, a scene in the movie where uh, Susan, or not Susan Sarandon, uh, Sharon Stone. I always get those two names confused because yeah. they're s alliterative names. Right. But Sharon Stone is on the bed, and she's all messed up on drugs, mm-hmm. and Robert De Niro's. Trying to hug her, trying to comfort her, and the camera camera starts out at a Dutch angle, <laughs> yeah, and, and then it just gets more and more off the wall, and it's perfect because it perfectly encapsulates the off kilter craziness of what's going on in this scene, mm-hmm. and that that's what I'm talking about. You can't like just Scorsese just knows to do that, just knows that we need a. We need a non-standard angle for this scene to give this feeling. There was a weird, weird camera thing that I still don't understand when he first introduced her to Nikki and his wife. Yeah, uh, like a shutter type thing yeah. where it's it's close. It's a th- it's three shots clo- close up on her, but it's like the camera shutters each time they cut to another shot. I think it's supposed to convey. I like the shot. It's an interesting. It's an interesting shot, and I think it's supposed to convey, kind of like the whoa, like you know, like the give that whoa effect of this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Kind of like whoa. So that was supposed to be from Nikki's perspective. I think so. Yeah, that would make sense. Or I mean, having seen it and knowing how it ends and everything, it could also be like this is the moment that everything's put in motion. Oh yeah, that's not that's that's not bad either. Yeah, this is the turning point for everything. This is like the the it's like the seismic change mm. of the world, almost like an earthquake, like pulse, pulse, pulse. At first, I thought it was that like the wife didn't like her, like mm-hmm. I, I don't know because that was like the new thing, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that was it because they seem fine. So this this movie beautifully blends. Great directing, uh, a tight script, fantastic acting, and music. Mm-hmm. Scorsese, oh, yeah, the music was amazing. Scorsese's very good at using music for... I mean, there's even... There's a, a point where he's talking about his wife, and it's diegetic. It's on the radio, and it's something like, uh, you know, uh, you're lying with another man or something like this. It's it's like almost it's foreshadowy mm-hmm. of stuff that's that's going on uh, in the background. I don't remember exactly what song it was. I can't remember, but I remember 
thinking about it, I was like, oh, that's clearly pointing to stuff that's going on in the plot. And it's era-appropriate era and everything. Because yeah. this, this movie takes place in the, the 70s to the early 80s, basically. It's based on a true story of uh, this guy named Frank Frank Rosenthal. And the character's name is Sam Rothstein mm-hmm. in this. But it's not a one-to-one comparison. It's not It's not an, an, an actual true story. Like, this is everything that happened. But it's a lot of the stuff that supposedly happened with this dude. Which is, you know, why I think the documentary part's good. Um, yeah. Everything in the movie changes once her character gets into it, though. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. when the movie comes to life is more of a story. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And maybe that's maybe that's part of the, the thing. Part of that, that shot is we're transitioning from the documentary portion of the movie to the story portion of the movie. It's a, it, I do think it's kind of signals transition but between like, things. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of the movie is just like the story of their, their love or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I it obsession. really bothered me when they got married, like when he proposed to her, mm-hmm. she starts out as a character who is basically, you know, a con woman. She's, she's a hustler. Yeah. And she's, just like living the life, sleeping around, drinking, partying, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's gorgeous. Whatever, and that's he, all she ever wanted to do was that. Yeah, and he's like, "Hey, marry me, and I'll take care of you." She didn't need to be taken care of. She could take care of herself just fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then apparently, she just like, wanted to sleep with him. Yeah, and get presents for right. Him. And then you know he makes her have a baby with him before mm-hmm. they get married, so that he he can keep her. Really, I mean, that's just. They say, uh, I think it's it's Joe Pesci narrating this section of, of the movie. He says, uh, Sam would never, they call him Ace. Mm-hmm. Sam would never do anything without, uh, that wasn't a sure thing or something like that. Uh-huh. So he made her have a baby before they got married. He's like, we even watched her on the honeymoon. Like when he was proposing, I, I literally was like thinking to myself, this and he's talking about having kids. This woman does not want kids. No, and she says she says to him, she says, "Look, I don't love you. I yeah. don't. I don't want to marry you. I don't. I, I'm basically." She says, "I'm having fun with you, and that's great. But I don't love you. I don't have those feelings. I don't want to get married." And he's like, "Oh, that can that can grow. Yeah, that can. We can as long as you, you know you respect me, and and that's enough. So as long as you got that, that's so dumb. And and she also has ties to a a." James Woods, a James Woods type character, a real James Woods of the thing. James Woods is the actor that plays this guy. Oh, uh, Lester. Lester, yeah, yeah. Who, a, who's a pimp that uh, met her when she was fourteen? Wait, he was a pimp. Mm-hmm. I missed that. Like, I thought it was. I knew he was like taking advantage of her, and that they'd known each other since she was fourteen. But I didn't realize that he was pimping her out. He was. It was not anymore. But she was. Uh, now, in real life, she wasn't. In real life, she was a showgirl and a hustler, basically. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, she she apparently was a 14-year-old prostitute that, that he pimped out. Like, he found her, you know, one of those runaway stories or whatever. We don't get a ton of... Yeah. We, we get the flavor of her backstory, but we don't get a, a huge portion of it. But, like, a 14-year-old runaway or whatever um, he, that he pimped out... And fell in love with, and he's had this like psychological hold on her, 
ever since. He constantly comes to her for money and stuff, and she can never say no to him. Yeah, she's like, he's like her Achilles heel or whatever. Like, and she loves him. The only she's he is the only thing that she really cares about. Yep, absolutely. Not even her daughter. She, she does not care about her daughter. Yeah. I hate. Like, as soon as I saw her interacting with her daughter, I hated her. Like, oh, yeah. I, I liked her character. I was sympathetic to her character until that point. But she was the worst kind of person with her daughter. They're all irredeemably. And that's a Scorsese staple. Is he. This this underbelly of life is, is something that he likes to to tap into. Not, mm-hmm. just, not just mob stuff, necessarily, but just any kind of undesirable people people that don't fit into polite society right and yeah they're all they're all irredeemably awful characters but they i mean they but they all have and that this is the genius of scorsese they all have there are there each one of them has something i can root for yeah at at least at some point in the movie there's a you take uh nikki who is um Joe uh, joe pesci's character and he's this guy is a fucking psychopath that goes around stabbing people in the neck with oh, pens oh, yeah. and, and murdering people. You know, he's clearly like, he just cares about like, uh, you know, he wants to be in charge. He's got this giant Napoleon complex. Power. Yeah. But no matter where he is, he goes home and he takes care. He feeds his kid. Yeah. 6.30 in the morning makes breakfast. He makes his bre- breakfast for his kid every morning. He goes to the T-ball thing. The other coach of the T-ball is some, like, federal agent or something like that. Like, mortal enemy to him. And he gets along with him Mm -hmm. because it's for his kid's T-ball. Like, this is a guy that otherwise he would, you know, be completely at odds with. Right. But he puts all that aside for his kid. Um, He talks to a guy at one point who he's given money to. And he's like, you know, your wife called me, said that the, the heat's been turned off. I gave you money to... Feed your kids. You got three kids at home to feed your kids, to keep your heat on, to pay your mortgage. You gambled that money, didn't you, loser? And, like, berates him for not being a good dad and then gives him money and says, like... Go turn the heat on. Yeah, he's like, go pay your fucking bills. So there are stuff, even for this character, that I can root for. And Scorsese's great at, at finding and highlighting things like that. So that you actually care mm-hmm. about these characters, you can root for them, even when they do terrible things. You can see all sides of it. Well, and you can, and, and in that, you can see that the thing that he values, aside from power, mm-hmm. is money. Yeah, or not money. Ah, no, family. family. family Thank you. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes it even worse um, at the end, mm, because yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll wait, I think, right. to get to that, but. Um. Well, no, just get to it now because right. we're, we're skipping all around. Okay, so yeah, they um, they decide that they're going to kill him. The mm-hmm. the these were the bosses from the Midwest, right? Yeah, Detroit, Chicago, Kansas City, all those different places in the Midwest. Because he ends up trying to kill our main character. Yes, uh, Sam Rothstein. Yeah. So he gets dragged out into a cornfield with his brother, mm-hmm. and they beat his brother oh, to God, death so with brutal. bats. Actually, they not all the way to death. Almost to death. Almost to death. Like, he wished he's dead. And um, make him watch, and then beat him, and throw them both while they're still alive in a hole and bury them alive. Yeah, terrible. So, I mean, that's absolutely awful, but I think it's even more so because he had to watch that happen to his brother, and... 
anyone else in the world, he wouldn't have cared because look at what he's done to other people. Mm -hmm. He made people look that bad. You know, I mean, (laughs) looking at that, I couldn't even look. I had to turn away. But, you know, when he stabbed, he stabbed a guy with a pen, like you said, a a lot. (laughs) It was terrible. but, But at the same time, looking at it from his perspective, the guy was being an asshole. Who cares? Because all Robert De Niro said was, Robert De Niro sees a pen on the bar, and he's like, hey, is this your pen? And the guy's like, yeah, it's my pen. Go fuck yourself. Like, just out of nowhere, yeah. it's a complete asshole for no reason. And the guy's, and, and Nikki's like, what'd you say to my friend? And it just starts, like, right. jabbing this. And the guy's still alive. The guy's like, <gasps> And, like, I can't believe that, it's like the police don't work. <laughs> Like, what do the police do there? Well, like I said, in, so a lot of that too is, is a lot of this movie is political and, and dynamics of police policing and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and kind of how corrupt things were. So like peace, police were paid off a Mm -hmm. lot, uh, during this era and you know, they, they, like I said, they, they're in that restaurant, right? So they know the owner of the restaurant. The owner of the restaurant's not going to say anything because they know, he knows if he says something to the police, he's going to get killed. And any witnesses in there are going to be too afraid to say anything. So no one's going to, no one's going to get word of that, that that happened. I mean, people might talk about it amongst themselves, but right. the police aren't going to have anything to, to go on from it. They, in the, in those little areas that they had, especially back then, they ruled everything. They didn't have to worry about stuff and it's so crazy and some people were were like on the down low or whatever about their criminal activities but they made it very clear that this nikki guy was not no (laughs) he did not he was very openly yeah in the mob and did not care about anything he tried to bring the mob to vegas he tried to bring organized crime to vegas well he Organized crime r- ran Vegas, obviously, because they're they're getting the money sent back to him. But he tried to bring organized street crime right. to Vegas, and they never they didn't have that in the. They mentioned in the movie that they didn't have that at the time because you know it, it makes too many problems. Yeah, the organized street crime makes too many problems, and the casinos make way too much money in in a legitimate way. Right, so like the the mafia bosses are getting their cut, and the casino owners are you know getting mm-hmm. what they want. So nobody has the need to do anything else, except when Nikki gets to the point where he's not allowed in the fucking casino, mm-hmm. then he decides, well, I'm gonna make my money this way. To me, this movie is about a few different things. So, uh, the the overarching plot, then like the the big the big in the background, not personal plot, is the the basically the decline and death of Las Vegas mm-hmm. as a you know organized crime kind of mecca you know we don't see the birth the birth would be a movie like Bugsy uh-huh. which came out a few years ago with with Warren Beatty where you know they like uh, what's his name Bugsy I can't uh, Malone Bugsy Malone gets the idea of like hey I'm gonna build this casino and he you know he builds it and then you know like they legalize it, right? So that'd be the birth of it. We don't get to see that. We don't see that because there are other movies about them. But this movie is about the '70s decline of organized crime in Las Vegas and its eventual death and takeover by corporations like uh, MGM or, or you know, any of the the big corporations that own a bunch of casinos there in 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 Las Vegas and how it's become like a family friendly yeah. 
type place and everything. That was another shot that I loved in this movie was was showing like the way the casinos were and then like morphing into mm-hmm. now and showing all these people with like the fanny packs and the touristy yep. stuff like yeah. charging in and that's yeah exactly what it would look like now yeah and that's that's what happened like it went from people wearing suits and everything and it being a like a big deal to go to this casino into yeah t-shirts and fanny packs yeah and stuff like that and that's that's how things went mm-hmm. and you know that's for a lot of people who are old enough to remember vegas of that time it's like a tragedy i don't necessarily think it's the worst thing in the world that it's become more family friendly no but yeah, that's so that's that's the overarching plot. Then the other, you know, one of the other main personal plots of the movie is with, you know, uh, Robert De Niro's character Sam Rothstein and his sort of rise and fall. Mm-hmm. Like we get to see his whole rise and then his fall and and Sharon Stone's a big reason for it, although not completely the reason no, for it. No. Because his pride is the reason. Yes. He so Nikki is about power and family. Uh, Vegas is about I don't know maybe I don't know exactly what 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 Vegas is like because Vegas is almost a character in this in this <laughs> movie as well. I don't know exactly what char- what what attributes that would have yet. But um, uh, Robert De Niro's is control mm-hmm. and pride, and those are his two overarching things and. His control and his pride lead him, and his sense of loyalty, mm-hmm. lead him to good things at first. But then, you know, as things go on, it they slowly start to become his downfall. Yeah. I mean, the big turning point for him was when he fired the slot manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Joe he, Bob Briggs. He was the bro- brother-in-law of the county commissioner. Yeah. Who, helped, you know, was basically, has... A huge influence, so political influence over the gaming board and all the stuff. Yeah, and this county commissioner came friendly, respectful, mm-hmm. polite. Hey, I want to ask you for a favor, mm-hmm. and even said, "Okay, don't hire him back as the supervisor that he was, but mm-hmm. can't you find something down the lo- down lower for him or right. whatever?" And he wouldn't do it. Yeah, he, you know, he says they, they're speaking respectfully to each other, but Robert De Niro's like, "Look, he's an idiot." I can't, and he's like, and finally the guy laughs, and he's like, well, you got me there. Yeah, he is useless, but, you know, it's my brother-in-law. Can't you find something anywhere, no matter how menial, for him to do? And that's when Robert De Niro should have said, yeah, okay, I'll find something. I'll find some, just a title, Mm -hmm. just so we can pay him, because that's all they want, Uh, you know, somewhere where he's not actually in charge of anything that matters, and... Everything would have been fine. He would have been playing ball. But no, like, you know, that control, that pride. No, I fired him, so he's stayed fired. Mm-hmm. And that's his thing. And like with with Sharon Stone, you know, she, eventually, like, she's asking for, it's a longer negotiation. Uh-huh. But it's a negotiation in the same way where she's like, I want my money. I want my jewels. I want custody of our daughter. Never going to uh, fucking happen. All this stuff. And that's what he says. He says, you know, you know, look at my face. Do you think I'm ever going to let you have custody of our child? You know, someone in your condition. Because at this point, she's she's already become a, a cocaine addict. And, right. And, 
Booze Hound and and all this stuff. I mean, I think in the beginning of their marriage, Mm -hmm. before, like, the turning point for her was when he beat the shit out of Lester in front of her. That broke something in her. Yeah. And that's when she turned to drugs and alcohol. But before then, I don't think he would have necessarily fought as hard because she wasn't a danger to the child. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with him. There's no way she could handle it. I'm so surprised Lester didn't get killed in this movie. Yeah, he should have. I almost feel like he did off screen. but Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, so I wonder if there's a deleted scene. Because I, I bet you there's some stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. That would make more sense, the, the reaction that she had if he was actually dead. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so she she's asking for all this. And then time passes and everything. Eventually it gets to the point where she slowly like whittles down what she wants, right? And it, Finally, it gets to the point where she says, I just want my jewels, mm-hmm. the million dollars in jewels that he set aside for her as basically an escape clause, yeah. a golden parachute. Here's your severance for being married to me. But he's like, I'm not going to let you touch that because you're a junkie. There is no way I'd let a junkie have this. You'll you'll blow through it in the course of a year and then you'll be back asking me for more money. But she doesn't want the kid anymore. She says to him, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Just give me those jewels. Yeah. But his, and that would have been the best thing for him. Especially with everything else that happened. The best thing for him would have been to say, yeah, okay. And, and you know, here, sign this, you know, like uh, abdicate your parent, parental rights, you know, all this other stuff. Then his daughter wouldn't have gotten tied up and locked in oh, her room. God, I hate, I hate Sharon Stone's character so much for but, what she did. But, you know, he could have done that and been done with her, right? Take your money, and then if she came, if she came back, you know he 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 could have a paper that says no, um, you don't get any more money, mm-hmm. no alimony, nothing. I gave you your jewels out. You're you're cut out. But his pride, yep, his sense of control, it wouldn't allow him to do it. And he he wouldn't like he said at one point he said, and make and have her make me look like a mm-hmm. fool, you know, like I'm not going to grant her this. What do you think Sharon Stone's motivation was for the for the movie? Just money? Hmm. Yeah. I think she wanted to be wanted, mm-hmm. and she wanted money. Money and and Lester, I guess <laughs> those were her. Those were her, and both of them were her downfall. Yeah. Lester and money. Well, and eventually drugs. You know, I mean, yeah. that was eventually all she I, wanted. I think that. I think that kind of is an offshoot from Lester and and money, to be honest with you. I wonder, I do, now that you say that, you know, he he was pimping her out and stuff, I really wonder, like, what was going on in her childhood. I'm very curious about her character. Just a movie about her would be really interesting. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because we get to see, basically, the the other two's origins. Yeah. Yeah, because they grew up together and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like I was talking about with Vegas, I guess Vegas is... Vegas's desire is also money. For sure. <laughs> money and people. Right? Oh, that's a weird. Like, it's just waiting to devour them. Well, it, it's like, in this movie, it, as far as a character anyway, it, all it does is consume. Yeah. Consumes money, consumes lives. And they show, like, the aerial shot where it's just, you can see how it's just surrounded by desert and it's mm-hmm. just there. Like, yeah, it's, it, it is ominous. Yeah, Vegas is an interesting... Interesting city, an interesting area. 
because there really isn't a lot around it. And they talk about no one gets buried in the desert in this movie. They talk about it a few times, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, they do. Oh no, they get buried in a cornfield at yeah, the end. Yeah, they get buried in a cornfield. <laughs> it's like the desert. The <coughs> the hole's already dug, as he says. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, just a. I mean, I can't. It, I, it's a masterpiece. It's, it is. It's another. It's another Martin Scorsese kind of epic in scope and in sweep. Just the you know the scale of this movie, and it has the runtime to to prove it. But it's <laughs> it's uh, another just. I mean, knocks it out of the park. The guy just knows how to make movies. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth three hours. Yep, for sure. I would go see it uh, if I were you. I'd be shocked if it's not on the short list for the Academy Award. Oh yeah. I think Sharon Stone's gonna gonna garner some nominations for this. Yeah, her performance was incredibly impressive. Yeah, uh, you know, Pesci and De Niro are great as they usually are, right? Um, but her her performance is the the emotional center mm-hmm. of this movie, and in a lot of ways, she's a connection between the two of them. Yeah, even though they their relationship predates her. But, you know, we didn't even get into the, the fact that... Uh, she sleeps with Nikki. Yeah. But more than once, they have a, a an ongoing affair. Yeah. Because she wants him to take care of her. Maybe that's the uh, her other... Yeah. Her other motivation is uh, to be taken care of. Like how Lester took care of her initially. Yeah, when she was a little girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's there's lots going on here as far as themes, as far as, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful tapestry of a film. Just a lot of things woven together. Yeah. But that is our episode for the week. Carol, why don't you tell the people uh, everything that they can do to be people? <laughs> well, you know, just to be people. Go to our website at www.latefee.com. No, sorry, RetroLateFee. <laughs> www.RetroLateFee.com. Yeah, and you can write us at LateFee1994 at AOL.com. Our motivations are to get you to write us letters and to tell <laughs> a friend about the show. Say, hey, have you seen the new movie, uh, Casino? Then you should. Oh, my goodness. Then you should listen to this tape because they really talk about it. Yeah. That's right. We sure do. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.